This reminds me of when we, used, when we first started back in 2004. We would have like this many people. And uh, so it's, it takes me back. It's, it's, uh, no. no. Bart, we pray for you and just pray that God will overrule and intervene. And we trust in Him, right? It's a faith issue, right? We'll just we'll trust in the Lord. And uh, I love that song that we uh, opened with. Uh, Sarah Grove sings. Uh, let me just repeat the words to you. Something's changed inside me, broke wide open and all spilled out. Till I had no doubt. You know, we 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 were in First John for half of last year, and John talked about this is where our assurance is. It's it's uh, not in a prayer we prayed or an ordinance we did. Our assurance is in, is in the life. It's in the life. And she talks about that this is why I have no doubt. Uh, this change inside me has spilled out. And I love this. She says, uh, Never would have believed it till I felt it in my own heart. In the deepest part, the healing came. And I cannot make it. I cannot fake it. And I cannot afford it. But it's mine. Uh, in my view, this is this is genuine conversion. This is when I when I heard the song immediately. I said, "Man, that's conversion." I didn't really know Sarah Groves was a Christian artist, but when I heard the song, I said, "That's conversion." And I've been studying James chapter two, and I realized it's the sermon uh, because James is talking about this. he's talking about what real conversion looks like, what a real Christian looks like. You know, Jesus's first and last sermon in Nazareth. You remember what he said? He read Isaiah 61, 1, and he said, uh, I have come to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to give sight to the blind, and to set free those who are downtrodden. He said something very slim, similar in John 10, 10, when he said, uh, I have come that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. And then you remember what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3. He said, to have all this healing and liberty and sight and freedom and to have this abundant life, you must be what? You must be born again. And that's what Sarah Groves is, is singing about. She's singing about being born again. She says, something's changed inside me. Now, what was the next line? Does anybody remember? What was the next line to the song? Something's changed inside me. What? What? Okay, that's good. That's pretty good. Um, Something's changed inside me, broke wide open, and all spilled out. And James, this is James's point. This is James's point from the outset, from chapter 1, verse 1. This is James. He said, if, if we belong to the Lord, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spill out. It's going to spill out. And I just, I don't know, I just, I, when, I, when, I, when I heard what she was singing, I just thought, man, that's, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. And did you love what she says? She says, man, the change is so huge. The change that God brings into a life, it's so huge, I can't make it. Basically what she's saying is, I couldn't manufacture this. I could, I could, not, I could not manufacture this. The, the change is so huge, it's a miraculous change in my heart that I could never make this happen. I could never make it happen. And she says, I can't fake it. I can't fake it. The change is so radical. It's so extreme. I could never fake this. I mean, many people try, obviously. We've, we've seen it all our lives, right, in Christian circles. Many people trying to fake being a Christian. But you really can't. You really can't fake it. And then she says, I can't afford it. She said, this is so infinitely valuable. 
It's so infinitely valuable that I could have never bought it or paid for it or bargained for it. But then she says an awesome thing, which all of you here tonight that are born again, you understand. She says, but it's mine. <laughs> it's mine. So how did we get it? If, if we can't make it or fake it or, or buy it, how did we get it? It's a free gift, right? Ephesians chapter 2. What, is, uh, what does Paul say? It is not of yourselves. It is what? The gift of God. It is the gift of God. And James has been saying to us all through his short epistle here, he's been saying, this is a free gift and you're supposed to live it. What do we see over in, in chapter 1, verse 22? You're supposed to do the Word. You're supposed to live this gift. This is not some religious gift that you, you set in... Uh, you set in a box on the shelf and you only pull out on Sunday. No, you're supposed to live this. You're supposed to live this, this gift. You're supposed to live it deep and wide and big. James says, sons and daughters of the king do the word. And Sarah is right. If it's real, it will all spill out. It will spill out in your life. <laughs> it will inform every bit of your life. It will spill out in your life. How did Jesus say it over in John chapter 8? He says, if you abide in my word, then what? Then you are my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly mine. And then he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Free to do what? To live the gift. Free to live the gift. It's like we talked about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whenever the last time I was that I preached. We're free to be impartial. You know, we talked about, we saw that great text a couple of weeks ago where James is imploring us to be impartial. We're free to be impartial. We don't practice prejudice as Christians. We're free not to do that. We're free to be, uh, we're free to be word doers. And if it's real, it breaks open and all spills out. I love that. I just love that. And this is not a guilt and duty driven kind of thing. This is not fueled by by guilt and duty, it's fueled by love, right? We've, we've fallen in love with this beautiful God that we've caught this glimpse of. God has quickened our souls and we've caught a glimpse of Jesus Christ and we're in love with Him. It's, it's almost, it's almost, irre, it's almost uh, irrepressible. You know, it just is. It just, it just breaks open, as Sarah says, and it all spills out. I mean, go read Hebrews chapter 11. You know, I always talk about Hebrews chapter 11. I, I go there a lot, but... That's real faith. That's men and women actually doing the Word. That's men and women uh, who are living the life, living the change, living the gift. And it's all what? It's all spilling out. It spills out in their life and it's spilled out all over the pages of Scripture. Friends, <laughs> it's supposed to be spilling out of our life. What God has done in our hearts, it should be spilling out in our life. This uh, portion of Scripture, verses 14 to to actually to 26 is the same thought, but I broke it on purpose at verse 20 because I want to spend two weeks on this. This is so important in my view. There's so much bad teaching in the modern church about this. There's so much misunderstanding that I think we need to take two weeks to cover uh, this portion of Scripture. Uh, in many so-called churches, it is, it is either taught or at least implied that if you give mental assent to the historical facts of Jesus, you're a Christian. Oh, you need to pray this, you need to parrot this prayer after me, and then you need to do this ordinance, and that makes you a Christian. Um, this has, uh, unfortunately, this is taught, uh, or at least implied in many places. This false teaching has been dubbed easy believism. But friends, you can't find that formula anywhere 
in the Bible. You don't find that formula in the Bible. And uh, God is going to give us a reality check. He's going to give us a reality check in James chapter 14 to verse 20. He's going to tell us in no uncertain terms what real Christian faith looks like. What real Christian conversion looks like. So I want you to listen as, uh, as I read the text. James uh, chapter 2, 14 to 20. And I want you to listen to the four questions God is going to put to us about faith. He's going to put four questions to us. And He's going to reveal that there is a kind of faith that doesn't save. There is a kind of faith that doesn't save. And He uses some powerfully descriptive terms about this kind of faith that doesn't save. So I hope you have your Bibles open and I hope you'll follow along with me. James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but he has no works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Verse 18. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You've got to love verse 19. You believe that, that uh, God is one? Oh, you're orthodox? You believe what the Bible says about God? You do well. The demons also believe. And they shudder. But are you willing uh, to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So we see God's first two questions about faith. And some of you who have... Some of you do know, some of you guys will remember Scott Moore. A lot of you guys actually will remember Scott Moore. And when I read this text, man, I just, it, his, he came right into my mind because Scott would always say to me and to, to people around him, he'd say, talk is cheap, man. Talk is cheap. And that's what God's saying to us. He's saying talk is cheap. Just like he said to us over in chapter 1, verse 22, he says, man, hearing and not doing is, a, is of no value. And then he's going to say to us today, talking and not doing is of no value. So, uh, in the immortal words of Scott Moore, talk is is cheap. Talk is cheap. Remember what uh, God said to us over in 22 verse 1. He says, Prove yourself a doer of the Word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. God is echoing that sentiment. He says, What use is it if we merely talk? He says, He says, What use is it? Verse 14, He says, Can that kind of faith say, This is God's question. This is not my question. This is God's question. Can that faith save? I love how the message paraphrases verse 14. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this, in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? God says, what use is it? What use is just talking? And again, this is, this is God's question. And look at verses 15, 16, and 17. Here's God's illustration. This is... This is his third question about, about the kind of faith that merely talks. He says, he says, what use is faith that talks but does not act? What good does it tell someone who has no clothing to be warm? What good does it, tell, uh, what good does it do someone to tell them uh, who has no food to, to be filled? What good does this do? This is God's illustration. What good does this do? Faith, if it has no works, is dead. Verse 17. Again, I love how the message paraphrases verse 17. You're going to love this if you've never read it. <laughs> the message paraphrases it like this. Isn't it obvious 
Let God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. <laughs> Don't you love that? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? It's like so many sermons that are preached around the world uh, that uh, don't call people to repentance and faith and obedience. It's outrageous nonsense. Mental assent, you can be a Christian by, by simply having mental assent and doing ordinances and religious things. It's outrageous nonsense according to the Word of God. It's outrageous nonsense. I just love that phrase. I love that phrase. And again, we spent half a year last year in First John what did John say about true conversion? What did he say about having assurance of true conversion? Man, it's in your hands. It's on your tongue. It's in your feet. It's in your deeds. John says, if, if we know Christ, we should walk as He walked. And he told us over and over again about obedience and about loving and serving the body. We're to be doers of the Word. And James is saying the same thing. God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. Man, this just needs to be this needs to be preached in every church in the land, around the world. It's outrageous, outrageous nonsense. God says faith without works is dead. You know what dead means, right? It means dead. What does a dead thing do? Have you ever seen a dead thing do anything? It's dead. It does nothing. It it affects nothing. It changes. Nothing. It's devoid of life. It's useless. It's powerful. It accomplishes nothing. But it does reveal everything. Dead faith reveals that a regeneration hasn't taken place. That the, that the new birth hasn't taken place. The John chapter 3, verse 3 thing, the, the being born again, being begotten of God has not taken place. And I love this little phrase at the end of verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by Itself. This is an important little phrase I think we, we overlook. Being by itself. We are Bible believers in here, I trust. We subscribe to what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. We are justified by what? Faith alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. We are students uh, and adherents uh, of the, the Reformation. We believe that. We, we, we preach that. We teach that. Man is justified by faith alone. We get that. But Sarah is right. If we've experienced this real grace, this real change, if we've really experienced that, it does break open and, and flow out into our lives. This is very true. I don't know who said it. Martin Luther or John Calvin. Maybe Keith, you, you'll know. I couldn't remember which guy said this, but... They said, faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies, you know what it is? Is never alone. The works, the works come. It, if it's real, it's going to all break open and spill out into the life. This is, this is the Reformation. This was the Protestant Reformation. We are justified by faith. But if it's a real faith, if it's a real faith, it reveals itself in the works. It's not like James says here in verse 17. It's not by itself. Just turn over and look real quick at verse 22. We're going to talk about this more next week. This is what James is saying over in verse 22 when he uses Abraham as the illustration. Look what he says. He says, You see that faith was working with his works, 
And as a result of the works, faith was what? Does anybody, can anybody tell me from the text? Faith was what? Perfected. Faith was perfected. This is a pervasive theme in the metaphors of Jesus Christ when He speaks about true conversion. Um, I'll give you, a, give you a, a quiz here. If the soil is a good soil, how do we know it's a good soil? What is, how, do, how do we know if it's a good soil? Stuff grows. It'll have, there'll be fruit. That's right, Keith. Stuff will grow. Uh, how do we tell a good tree from a bad tree? Good trees bear good fruit. Good fruit. Bad, bad tree bears bad, bad, bad fruit. That's right. Okay, it's in, it's in the life of the tree, right? It's in the, it's in the life of the soil, right? How do we know if, uh, if we're looking at a wheat or a tear after maturity, how do we know? We can see it, right? We can see it in the fruit. We can see it in the fruit. And what is evident in the branch that abides in Jesus? What is evident in the branch that abides in Jesus? What is it? Fruit. Real conversion will always yield up a crop. A fruit. It always does. It always does. A crop of good works. Listen to John 15 real quick. I just want to turn over there. That was that... That's that great text about the, the branches and the vine. But listen, listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. They're already clean by faith. Verse 3. They believe the word. They're clean by faith. But then Jesus says, Abide in Me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in Me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in Me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they, are get, they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you look at that text there, I think the word abide is used about five or six times. What does it mean to abide in? What does that mean? What does that term mean? It means to what? Live in. Yes. To live in it. Isn't that what James is saying to us? We're to be what? Doers of the Word. We're to live in the Word of God. We're to eat it and, and breathe it and drink it. We're to do it. We're to abide in Jesus. And if we're abiding in Jesus, there will be fruit. There will be good works. There will be. James is just calling us to, to biblical faith. It's not easy believism. It's not cheap grace. It's not give mental assent and parrot a prayer and, and uh, get thrown down in some water and we'll pronounce you a Christian for all eternity. It's not that. It's true biblical Christianity. It's the change that God does in the heart. It's the change that God does in, in the heart. We're not to be merely orthodox in our beliefs. We're to do our beliefs. Real Christians do their beliefs. Now listen, friends, I'm not saying that we don't have seasons in our life when we don't walk with Christ as we should. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the thrust and direction and motion of our life will be that we are walking with Him. We 
we not only know we're called to be doers, we genuinely want to be doers of the Word. We want to honor the Lord Jesus in our life. We want to do what James is exhorting us to do. We, want, we don't want to be deluded. We don't want to just be people who hear and don't do anything. We don't want to just be people who talk and don't do anything. We want to be doers of the Word. Man, what have we been saying when we did the whole Heaven series? Man, we want to get ready for the, the Bema seat, right? Don't you want to be ready for the Bema seat? Don't you want to build with gold and silver and precious stones? Don't you want to give a good account and a, a good account of your stewardship before the Lord? That happens every single day when you get up. <laughs> You're supposed to use that day and bear fruit. And what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Let your light so shine in such a way that men may see what? Your good works. And then what happens when men see your good works? Anybody remember? That they may glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, this is our job description. James is just reminding us what our job description is. This is our job description. Be doers of the Word for the glory, for the glory of God. Hebrews 11 again. How, do we know, how did we know Noah had faith? There's an ark. Right? An ark. How did we know Abraham and Sarah had faith? Oh, there's a little boy named Isaac running around. How did we know Moses had faith? Oh, he's taking two million Jews through the Red Sea, right? How did we know David had faith? There's a dead giant uh, laying before him. Friends, faith works. Real faith works. And God says it Himself. What good is it if we merely talk? What good is it if we merely talk? Real Christianity is supposed to be visible in the world. And guess who's supposed to make it visible? You. You. You're supposed to make it visible in the world. You're supposed to shine in such a way that your Father in Heaven is glorified. So let me just stop and ask you just real quick. How are you living out your faith in such a way that your Father is glorified? How are you doing that? How is your faith conspicuous to the people around you? How is that a reality in your life? This is what God says about real biblical faith. It will spill out. It will be evident. It will be seen. It will be conspicuous. This is what God says will be true about His sons and daughter, daughters. And God is aggressively and powerfully refuting the false teaching that is prevalent today that mental assent equals conversion. That is false. That is false. Mental assent does not equal conversion. It does not equal conversion. If we read our Bibles and understand them at all, we understand that our assurance will come as, as we see the work of God in us and as He's changing us and as, as we have this love for... I talked with a young woman this morning. And she, she just... I probably don't want to go there. But... But... She, but a conversation that, that, uh, that I've had with many people who, who want to talk about conversion. They want to talk about, oh, I'm not sure if I've been converted. And they'll, they'll say things like, well, I find, myself, I'm, I find myself loving Christ. I find myself hating my sin and, and wanting to repent. I find myself wanting to be holy, to please the Lord. And I look at him in the eye and I go, hey man, I think that's conversion. Right? And uh, if there's a change going on, there's a change in the life. There's a change in the life. And again, I, I want to remind you that we are Bible believers. 
We believe that, that a man is justified by faith alone. We believe that. And some people want to say, well, James and Paul, they're at odds here and there's a biblical contradiction. But there's not. And I just want to, I want to quote John MacArthur here. I think this was, this was really helpful to me when I saw this. Uh, listen to what he says about the, the difference here, or pardon me, the relationship between faith and works, between James and Paul. James and Paul are not standing face to face in a confrontation, but they're standing back to back fighting common enemies. I love that. Paul is fighting those who want salvation to be earned by works. That's heresy. James is fighting those who want uh, salvation that brings no change in the life. That's, uh, that's heresy. Paul is saying salvation is only by grace. James is saying salvation by grace alone will produce works. There's a perfect balance here. There is no argument, there is no disagreement, and there is no tension. Uh, I had a long conversation with a man recently about this. And he was all confused. He was all in a knot. And he'd been exposed to some bad teaching. He was all in a knot about the whole works thing. It's real simple. <laughs> it's real simple. If we've been changed by God, if we've been born again, the works will flow. It will all spill out. It's very simple. There's a perfect relationship in the Word of God between faith and works. And we'll continue to talk about this next week. So as we close, God says, a faith without works is dead. And then He drives the point home in verses 19 and verses 20. You believe that God is one, you do well. Can you hear the sarcasm here? The demons also believe and they shudder. The demons also believe and they shudder. You, you're proud because you're orthodox? You're proud because you believe what the Bible says? Hey, Satan believes what the Bible says. The demons believe what the Bible says. Go read the Gospels. They always knew who Jesus was. They always knew who He was. They always obeyed His Word. They always submitted to His authority. The devils know who Jesus is. I love what MacArthur says about this. He says, there's no such thing as a liberal demon. Don't you love that? Isn't that? You can use that, Keith. Don't you love that? There's no such thing as a liberal demon. They believe all of the Word of God. They don't edit any of it out. They know it's all true. And guess what else they do? They tremble. God is basically indicting much of the modern church. I think... Uh, the kind of faith that the devils have, at least they tremble, might be superior to the, the kind of mental ascent faith that many in the modern church want to say that they have. The demons believe every single bit of the Word of God. And they tremble. And look what he says here in verse, uh, look what he says here in verse 20. But are you, here's the fourth question, but are you willing to recognize your, you foolish fellow that faith without works, it is useless. <laughs> okay, God says, God says, if you're just a hearer and just a talker, He says that kind of faith is what? Let's get it right. It's dead, it's less than demon faith, and it's useless. This is what God says. This is what the Word of God says. God is just simply overwhelmingly clear on this point. Faith without works is a sham, it's a charade, it's a lie. I walked into the kitchen yesterday and Karen goes, she goes, well, how's the sermon going? I said, it's a slam dunk. And she goes, well, do you think that pleases God for you to say that? I said, absolutely. I said, a six-year-old could do this sermon. It's so plain. God is so clear. He's so clear here. He's making it so clear, the differentiation between false faith and real 
faith. The one who hears without doing is deluding himself, and the one who talks without doing, he has dead and useless faith. A six-year-old could preach this sermon and understand it. It takes a PhD with an agenda to mess this up. A six-year-old, I'm convinced, a six-year-old could understand the clear teaching that God has put in front of us. An African missionary uh, tells the story of a of a, a man coming out of the jungle. He he, he didn't know this man. He, he was not from the tribe that this missionary was ministering to. And uh, this man comes out of the jungle and he says, I want to know what you teach. He looked the missionary in the eye and he says, I want to know what you teach. And the missionary says, have you heard the gospel? And the man says, no, but I've seen it. And he went on to tell this missionary that he had observed, he had observed uh, a man who had been converted. He said, I want to know what you teach. There's power in that. There's power that changes hearts and changes lives. Friends, <laughs> if it's real, it's going to spill out. And people are supposed to see it. And what? Oh, glorify our Father who is in heaven. Let me ask you, is that the signature of your life? Is that the focus and thrust of your life? That God would be honored in your life? That the men around you, men and women around you, boys and girls around you, would see your good works and glorify your great God? You know, Jesus said, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor a bad tree which produces good fruit. Each tree is known by its fruit. So let me ask you, friend, how does the world know you? How does your family know you? How do your co-workers know you? How do your business associates know you? What do they know to be true about you? Is it spilling out in your life? Is that radical change of heart spilling out into your life? If we've been begotten of God, it will be. It will be. So I'm exhorting you uh, tonight to let your faith spill out into your life in your good works, that Christ will be seen, that as we say so often in here, that Christ will be made more famous in the world because you are in it and you are living by His statutes and giving Him honor and glory. And God says, this is how my children are to live. Sons and daughters of the King do the Word. They do the Word. It's as simple as that. And if we don't do the Word, we're not a son and a daughter of the King. That kind of faith does not save. That kind of faith is not biblical. This is the Word of God. Faith without works is dead and useless. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this awesome Word. I thank You for the clarity of it. I thank You that we, we can't be deceived on this unless we want to be. You've made it very, very clear. Real faith is a working faith. Real faith is a visible faith. Real faith gives glory to our awesome Father in heaven. Lord, I pray that each one of us uh, in this room tonight are practicing biblical faith, saving faith, real faith, a faith that is palpable in the life, a faith that spills out. It just spills out. And men can see it. Men can see the powerful change that Jesus wrought in a life. Holy Spirit, thank You for this great teaching. We thank You that You have preserved this Word for us, that You have written it and preserved it. We understand it's crystal clear. Faith without works is dead and useless. It is crystal clear. 
Father, I pray that we would be a people of mighty works. Mighty works of faith. Trusting in You. Hoping in You. Looking to You. Crying out to You. You are our great hope, Father. We know we can do no good thing apart from You. Thank You for this great reminder. Thank You that we are saved by faith alone. Thank You, Father, for that great truth. And thank You for this assuring Word that our assurance will be seen in our life. It will be seen as we submit to the Holy Spirit and as we, as we order our lives around Your Word, being doers of it. Thank You, great God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Ancient words ever true